Social disturbance. Acts 19, verse 21 is where we start. We're going to read uh, a sizable passage today and, you know, hopefully through that find some inspiration and direction in life. Verse 21. After these things. Okay. And so Paul's on this third journey. Uh, a lot of things were happening in Ephesus. And uh, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And that's his fourth journey. And so he's in Ephesus and he says, I want to go to Jerusalem, but I'm going to go through Macedonia and Achaia. Okay? Verse 22, and having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. That, of course, speaking to the way of following Jesus or Christianity. And for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades. And he said, men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is, this, uh, uh, is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. And also some of the, the, the Asiarchs, uh, who were friends uh, of his, sent him, repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, having motioned with his hand. Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. And when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them, and all, all as they all shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? Since then these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep, uh, keep calm and do, not, do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of the temple nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if 
you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affairs, since there is no real cause for it, and in this connection we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. I mean, can you get a picture? This is like a beautiful cinematography kind of in, 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 your, in your face right here in this passage. You can see Paul in Ephesus, the ministry that he had, and just reaching out into the believers, spreading the gospel over there. And as he's preaching Jesus, what is he saying? Jesus is God. That that mantle, that piece of silver, that piece of wood that you have hanging in your home, that's not a God. right? Jesus, who came from heaven, showed people the way to the kingdom, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and is now raised to the right hand of God. This is God. And we ought to worship Jesus, not this figure. And this message began to spread in Ephesus, right? One family, and their lives were changed. They, they received the message and the gospel as Paul was preaching it, and their families began to be just transformed. And then it went from one individual or one family or one street or one community, and it began to spread. And soon what began to happen all over Ephesus, people started to buy fewer idols. And especially in today's world, we have like analytics and metrics. We measure website hits and clicks, and we trace them right from when they entered our online space to when they exited. We know the time, the demographic, and we mark it with such sophistication nowadays. And we see the smallest dip in sales. We research into what demographic, and we have all of these tools at our disposal. They didn't have that back then, but they knew one thing. We're selling less merchandise. It was that simple, right? They had less traffic through their silversmith stores, and they were selling less goods. And in the end, it troubled Demetrius. And so he was a silversmith, a very influential one. And he begins to gather all of his tradesmen, and he says, wait a minute, something is happening to our business. There is a downturn. And I've actually pinpointed why we have less sales. It's this guy. It's this guy in town called Paul. Because I've heard he's been sharing a message. He's been telling people to forsake the idols that we're making with our trade and to disregard them. And to say that there is a God, a true God. And as he began to share with his fellow tradesmen, they're like, yeah, you're right, Demetrius. If we can only get rid of this guy. If we can only somehow disregard his message. If we can only somehow figure out a way to convince the people not to believe in what he's saying, our bottom line will increase. That's what it's all about for Demetrius, right? That's what it's all about. And let me share this. This is my first point. Up and to the right, right? I stole this from Seth Godin, a marketer, right? I mean, if you think about it, everybody wants their life to go up and to the right. <laughs> like, if you own a business, if you're on a career path, you want your career to go up and to the right. You want your family to go up and to the right. You want your maturity to go up and to the right. If anybody wants to go down and to the left, there's something wrong, right? Like, we all want this. We want this type of growth. And this is what businesses track, right? 
This is what marketers track. This is what all of the metrics are for, to see, wait, are we steadily growing and moving along up and to the right? And that's what Demetrius wanted. He saw his business. It was a thriving business in the city of Ephesus. But suddenly it began to stop going up and to the right. And it started to dip. And so the, the flags went up. He got the, the notifications and the alerts on his dashboard saying, sales are dropping. And as he was investigating into the situation, this assembly came about. It was spontaneous. Half of the people, more than half of the people, had no idea why they were there. It's just like, have you ever seen a bunch of people running along the street and something happened? And you're like, what happened? And you start just following along. Have you ever seen an accident and suddenly you see the crowd swell two, three, four deep? Especially if it's a big one. Right? Because we're attracted to where people are looking. And suddenly Demetrius and his tradesmen, they were very emotional about this. And they said, you know what, we've got to do something about it. And then as their voices were getting louder, the people that were just in the earshot away, like, what are those people all passionate about? And they begin to kind of like just peer over the shoulder a little bit probably. Well, what, what, what's happening? Like, what, what, what's happening to your business? And then suddenly as it's now too deep, the people that are at least in an eye shot away are starting to come. And as they're coming, like, what's going on? And before you knew it, you had a, a mob assembled. And they're like, whoa, what's going on? Why are we here? What are we talking about? Everybody was interested. And they drag Alexander in the middle. They drag other people. And they're saying, oh, this and that and this and that. And Paul overhears everything that is happening. And he's like, you know what? I, I just got to get into that assembly. Let me get into the theater and set things straight. And everybody's saying, whoa, Paul, if you get in there, they're like, hang on. And as I look at this passage, I'll tell you honestly, I don't blame Demetrius. I, I can't blame the guy. In my opinion, I don't think he hated Paul. He just had a passion for his family and path of life. This guy wanted to support his family. He wanted to, to, to maybe upgrade his house. He wanted to buy a new pair of sandals for his kids. And as he's thinking about providing for his family... Like, it got disrupted. And so he does the natural thing that any of us would do in our careers if there's a disruption. We try to pinpoint what's going on. And so I don't blame Demetrius for his actions. I think he was just passionate about his family and his career. Right? As he was passionate about that, and because he was more of a charismatic individual, that assembly began to gather that day. Right? Because, like I said, we all want to go this way. None of us want to regress. Right? I mean, how many of you want to go back to a dumb phone? Like, uh, maybe some of us. Like, technology's great, but sometimes it's like a little too much, right? But to, to be honest, I mean, I don't want my old Nokia. I, I, I had this phone. Anyone else have this phone? Oh, yeah, yeah. My brother! Yeah, yeah, Charlie! Oh, yeah. Charlie, do you still have this phone? <laughs> right? Uh, absolutely! I mean, look at that, look at that game, man. I mean, like, iPhone 10, you got nothing on this game, right, of Centipede, or whatever action's going on that screen, right? But think about it. The regression of going back and lowering, you had an, or attained something, and suddenly that's being taken away from you, that is not easy to accept. 
It's not. I mean, think about anything. Well, I mean, think about the, the, the places we live, the, uh, the, the, the places we work, the cars we drive, right? We want it to be a steady, like, increase. My first car was a 1989 Honda Prelude, gold color. It had the, those flip-up lights with the, the kind of like that plane shifter, gear shift. Yeah, right? Uh, but, I mean, it, it's not only like it, it's not running today, but, I mean, you think about it. Like, when you upgrade, like, if you have, you know that first time you had Bluetooth in the car? Remember that? Your first car that had Bluetooth? Like, after that, it's like, I can't go back to, like, not having Bluetooth in the car, right? I mean, what, if you, like, graduate from cloth seats to leather seats, if you have a, a five-inch just text screen or an LCD with navigation and full-on infotainment in there, connected to your phone and all that stuff, right? Think about your internet. Remember dial-up? Remember, like, net zero? I mean, anyone did net zero? I mean, like, back? Come on, yeah, right? I mean, like, think about, like, that dial-up and going from there to, like, what it was, like, how DSL, like, blew your mind, right? It doesn't matter. Like, we want our, our lifestyle, our technology, our bank accounts to go up and to the right. And when it doesn't do that, something happens. There was a, a show on CNN. It's called The 80s. Has anyone, I, I love that, that particular kind of series because, I mean, uh, you know, being born in the, in the 70s, like my childhood heyday was the 80s, right? And... Uh, and so every time I watch that series, like, you know, it's like maybe the boomers, they love, they had a 60s series but, or 70s series, but the 80s kind of gets me, right? And I was watching one particular episode of the 80s, and it brought me back, you know, Tom Hanks was on there. He was just talking about what, like, technology blew the scene in the 80s when it just started out. I don't know if you all remember this, the, the Walkman. The, and this was a later rendition of that. The first one was a big clunky black one and you know how Sony came up with that yellow one and then you had those cool like you know earphones. I don't know if y'all had that but I, my brother and I we had one of those right and it clipped on. It was just like solid. You had a cassette tape in your pocket. I mean it was just beautiful right. You felt so proud to have this yellow thing hanging from your belt right. Uh, but if you think about it, like how many of you I mean maybe for like the you retro folks that like, you know, going back in time a little bit and kind of showing that off. Maybe you want to have that, but if you think about it, it's not just dated. It's prehistoric almost. And I mean, you know, remember, remember this? Right? Remember the, the VCR, right? The ability, like, man, my brother and I, I remember, we were, like, huge basketball fans, and, like, this is when, that, when we got our first VCR, we were up in Vancouver, Canada, and we loved Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? And I just remember, like, man, like, when we had to go to church on Sunday, it's like, oh, there's a game on Sunday, but then this came out, right? Or there was a, whatever it was, and he just record it. Like, ah, you go back, and don't tell me what the score was. I want to watch it for myself. And y'all remember how this went to that? <laughs> like, the first, this is actually a sophisticated camcorder because I remember my dad bought a camcorder when they kind of first came out, and it looked like this. You had to actually carry the VCR on your hip in a big old, like, briefcase pouch, right? 
I remember this. We did a family trip, and my dad, that, that's my dad right there. That's kind of like that. He looked like that. He had this big old honking thing that he held like this, and he had a big old like side satchel, and there was like a 50-pound VCR in there. It's like, how in the world, right? We went from that to our cell phones, right? How, like that. How many of you want to shoot like your, your selfies on, the, on something like that, right? Try to, try to like turn that, try to see how long your arms are, if it's that really going to work for you. No, right? And check out the price on that. Save $200. Now this in the 80s, at not 800 bucks after saving $200, that's a pretty price tag for this, right? That's a pretty price tag. But how many of us want to go back? I mean, for the nostalgia of it, you might want to buy an old car. For the nostalgia of it, you might go back in fashion. But your day-to-day life, I would say not. I would say we are creatures of comfort. And as soon as we attain a certain level of comfort, we don't want to regress backwards. And the bottom line is, our career paths, our financial situation is one of the bedrocks that sustains certain levels of comfort. Demetrius, he's just fighting for his silversmith's job. He just doesn't want to lose his customers. That's all he knew. Maybe he learned the trade from his dad's, 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 and it went from generation to generation as many career trades did in this day. That's all he knew. He can't be retrained. How old was he? Maybe he was in midlife. And as he's looking at his life, he's thinking, wait a minute. I thought our future would be different. You know, I'm I'm building some good stuff here. This is all I've known my, my, my adult career life. And suddenly this is being changed, challenged. And he's like, ah, i got to fight for this. This is what he's doing. And so this message, social disruption, what this is talking about is faith is a powerful force. Faith is. When a person believes in God, we live in Southern California, right? Earthquakes. There is a tectonic shift in the heart of an individual who has faith. What I mean by that is, at its fundamental, rudimentary core of an individual, when a person believes in God, something shifts. That everything else that's built on top is affected. That's what faith does. What do I mean by that? A gloomy person can become bright, if you think about it just in a tangible way. But a person who's lost hope can regain hope. A greedy person can somehow be generous. You think of like Zacchaeus in the Gospels, right? How he was a chief tax collector, and Jesus was coming through town, and he was short in stature, so he goes and runs on ahead, climbs a tree, and waits for him. Jesus comes down, hey, come down here. And he receives him into his house. And he receives the gospel and the kingdom message. And he gives his life over. And this is what he says. If I've defrauded anybody, I'll give four times. I'll repay. I want to cut my wealth in half and I want to give it to the poor, is what he said. A person that spent his entire professional life cheating people and building up wealth suddenly because he had faith in Jesus says, I'll cut my wealth in half. I no longer want to defraud. And if I have in the past, I'll find him out, I'll find her out, and I'll repay that person fourfold. That's what faith does. Faith changes the core of an individual. It makes thieves honest. It makes the covetous content. 
That's what faith does. And so in Ephesus, this is what was happening. Paul was preaching faith in God. People were latching on to it and their lives were changing. The very centerpiece of their home, the idol that dwelt on that mantle was coming down. They were no longer investing in the same things. And this is why the disruption came for Demetrius. Because faith disrupts. It puts a stake in the ground, a marker, and it says, from this point forward, something's different about me. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. My next point is this. We need to be the change we want to see. That if I look at my life, my surroundings, my workspace, and I'm discontent. If I look at my society or my town or my street or my neighborhood, I look at my, my family members, and there's always something that irks us. Always, right? Why do we move from job to job or place to place? Usually it's because we, we're not content with or we find some sort of dissatisfaction in what we see and we move on to the next. We don't see the, it as we want it, and we want things to change. But often when we say we want things to change, somehow it goes like that. And we're looking at what others have done, what the circumstances are, and why it is that way. And if only that would change, I would stick around. If only that would change, I'd be happy. If only that would change. We say it all the time in our hearts and minds, I think. Right? But what I want to say is be the change that we want to see. The very thing, if I want the school to change, my classmates, if I want my company culture to change, then I need to start here. I need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, that change needs to start with me. Because in Ephesus, this is what we see, right? We see just like the silversmithing industry wasn't disrupted because of one individual. Demetrius didn't gather because he lost one customer, right? That's not why the, all of those people gathered that day. It's because there was a, a major disruption. And what happened is this. Paul preached the gospel. A life was changed. They no longer bought that. They bought into the mission. And as they bought into the mission, other people began to see what they bought into. And as they saw what they bought into, they began to believe in that mission, and they bought into the mission. And soon what you find is not just a father, but a, a wife and children, extended family, friends, neighbors, colleagues. And suddenly, as this message begins to grow, it was just, in essence, it starts from an individual changing his or her life. And that transformation is infectious. And I think there's some leadership lessons to be learned about impact from the Apostle Paul. I'll just give you three, right? And first is this. If we want to be the change, at first we need to genuinely encounter Christ. That's the beginning point for me. I look back, we've gone through Acts, this entire book, right? We're going through it. We're in week 55 right now. 55 messages so far through the book of Acts. More than a year into this book now, right? We saw Paul's conversion. We saw how he was a persecutor of the church and on that road to Damascus, letters in hand, ready to arrest and abuse the Christian people. Jesus shines a light. Why are you persecuting me? 
He's blinded, led by the hand into the next city. And God tells him, find out this man. That very man meets him, prays for him. Scales fall from his eyes, regains his strength. And then his life was changed. And from that one genuine encounter of meeting with God, we see his message being bold. Everything that Paul said wasn't fabricated. It was a testimony. It was something that happened in his life. We've all been like, like tried, someone has tried to sell us something before that we could like, we can see a fake a mile away, can't we? I mean, let me think about it. You look at somebody and they're trying to pitch you something, you know if they believe in that or not, right? It could be as simple as a marketing call or to just somebody just talking about something. You could sniff a fake a mile away. But you can also sniff out a real. That when something is true, authentic, you recognize it. Now, some people are great at imitation, or you look at like handbags or clothing, anything in the fashion industry. There's the genuine piece of thing, and there's a fake imitation. If you're a real connoisseur, you can pick it out. But sometimes imitations can really be good. But in the end, there is a way to distinguish. And Paul had the real deal. He, he experienced Jesus. And it came out that if you would sit with Paul in a living room, invite him into your home, and you gave him 10 minutes, I think all of our jaws would drop to the floor. I mean, a person just doesn't pick up everything and travel on these massively long journeys across the known world for something he half-heartedly believed in. A person doesn't establish church after church, be stoned to the point where everybody thought he was dead, and then pick himself up, go to the next city, and do the very same thing that got him stoned in the previous city. That's not a fake. And so he was able to do that because he had a genuine encounter. And if we struggle in our faith of dedicating our lives, if we struggle in, in, in having any sort of tectonic shift, of having a value change, a worldview set on the kingdom of God, if that is a struggle of ours, it, it cannot be fabricated. It must go back to the beginning of just genuinely experiencing Jesus. It starts from there. But not just genuinely encountering Jesus. I think change happens when we are genuine. When we align two things, what I believe with what I do, right? My values are aligned with my actions. And we've all known people that this is not aligned, right? They say they profess one thing, like they profess one thing, but like I just don't see it, right? Someone famously said, you know, I can't hear anything that you're saying because I can't stop thinking about what I'm looking at. Like you might be saying some stuff that you believe this or you believe that. But once you align what you believe with what I see you living and how you are going about your life, that's when authenticity clicks in. That's when passion is contagious. That's when we speak a message and people begin to listen. When we are genuine. So it starts with a genuine encounter and it leads to us aligning beliefs and actions and being genuine. 
And I think a third thing that we can learn, that if we want to be the change that we want to see in the world, we can't be afraid of the moment. Like we need to be able to meet that moment. And what, I'm, what do I mean by the moment? Because we'll all meet that moment. In this case, in this one isolated passage, the moment for me is Paul wanting to go into the theater. The, the, the moment when what you believe is, is rubber meeting the road, whatever you want to say to it, like that moment, defining moment, it's not just one in our lives, there will be many in our lives. But if we want to be the change that we want to see, yes, there needs to start from a genuine encounter. We need to be truthful and authentic in how we live. But when it comes to a head, and that moment arises, we can't be afraid of it. And I think Paul wanted to go in to that assembly because I think he cared for Demetrius. I think he wanted to set them straight and let them know. He's like, I need to get there. And everyone else is like, no, Paul, stop. Don't go there. You might get hurt. But Paul was that type of individual. And it was this ripple effect that's happening in Ephesus, right? Because honestly, changed lives change lives. It's as simple as that. Like in my family or the workspace, I can't expect it to change if I'm not going to change. I can't. And so where does it start for the Christian? Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, was going through various places, and he arrived in his hometown of Nazareth. And as Scripture says, it was his custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And on this particular day, early in his ministry career, somebody hands him a scroll. And he picks up this scroll, and he finds the place where it read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. To preach the gospel to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And think about the, the end here. right? To preach to the poor. Release for captives. Sight for those who cannot see. To set free those who are oppressed. And to say Jesus is saying God's going to set things straight. That as we see life, it's not a downward thing. There will be a redemption of human history and God has favor. There is a year of jubilee. Restoration. And God has this insight. And He gives hope to all of His listeners. And then He takes the scroll, puts it back together, and hands it back. And He says, today in your hearing, this is being fulfilled. This is the genesis for the follower of Christ. That if we want to be an instrument of change, what is the change we want to see? 
Is it just a change in the bottom line to help people have more, feel happier, while these are all great ends? There is something more foundational. That the change needs to be gospel-centric. And the people that we're trying to reach and change are those who are afflicted, captive, blind, oppressed, who have no hope. And this needs to be the mindset in the eyes of the follower of Christ. Am I looking at the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the captive, the one without hope, with a mindset and a mission to say, I want to help change their lives so that they see freedom and hope and recovery. Let me share a clip with you. This is an extended version. You've probably seen this commercial. It's a Microsoft commercial. It recently played, kind of, I think it even played yesterday during the All-Star um, kind of festivities. And this is the extended version. I'm not trying to plug Microsoft, but I remember when I first saw this commercial, there was a couple of lines that really hit me. We have mixed reality that changes how we see the world and AI empowering us to change the world we see. We live in a technological era that's through the roof. Our parents would never have dreamed of this. And we think and project out the next 10, 20 years, it'll be even crazier. And what Microsoft is saying is, we now live at a time that is unprecedented. That the, the ways in which we have these tools, that it shifts how I see the world that's right in front of me. And I got the tools to actually change the things that I'm actually looking at. And I began to think about it. If the world who believes this message, and I believe this message, I believe that these tools will really help us change how we see the world and help us to change what we see in the world. I believe that. I believe technology is that powerful. I took you through the series of the 80s technology and what it is today. Our world has changed because of the internet, because of the, of the transistor, because of the silicon chip. Our world has changed because of all of this getting smaller, Moore's Law doubling every 18 months. That is a reality, right? But I began to substitute. And I began to think, like, do I view Jesus that same way? That 
we have Jesus that is helping us to change the way we see the world. And Jesus, who helps us to change the world we see. That should hold more true, shouldn't it? I mean, is the creator of the universe more powerful than the internet? Than our smartphones? Than any computer scientist out there? I would say yes. And what our culture esteems as true in terms of technology, can we believe that faith in God can produce the same, if not more, change and transformation in the world that we see? As I close, praise team, you guys come back. Let me finish with two statements. First, just follow Jesus from the heart. Just let it start there. Let's not manipulate or fabricate it to look like something that it's not. Let's just start with where we're at and have a genuine encounter with Christ. And lastly, it would be this. To be gracious and courageous as we engage culture. That I don't judge Demetrius for having the reaction that he did. I think there's a way to show Demetrius, the marketplace, our world, grace, and understanding that we all, Christians included, want our lives to go up and to the right, to validate that, to start from that point, but to be courageous, to meet that moment where we can allow the message of the kingdom to transform us and to influence the conversations we're a part of. May that stick with us, not just this week, but going forward. Amen? Amen.